And he said that a friend of his was on a business trip and he arrived at an airport and his suitcase didn't arrive. And he had some business meetings to attend and he needed a, a proper suit. And so he went along to a thrift store. And as he went in and uh, asked if they had any suits, he said, yes, this uh, funeral home uh, had an overabundance of suits, so they sold them to us really cheap. And he bought himself a suit from the funeral home. And when he went and fitted it on and tested it, put his hand, there were no pockets. You don't need pockets in a shroud. You're not going to take anything with you. You're going to leave absolutely everything behind. Everything. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and I trust that you'll be encouraged today. The Tenth Commandment, this is our final message on the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet. This will go right to the core of your very daily life and daily walk. What man, what woman does not have a need to control the heart that covets? But the power of God, the grace of God, can enable us to overcome this. And so I trust you'll stay tuned with us right through the program. We have a hymn, Who Can Cheer the Heart Like Jesus? But firstly, we go to the book of Romans again, and we deal with this whole matter of the Jew in his pride, thinking that he was right with God, while all others, Gentiles, pagans, well, they couldn't even be saved. They could never become the children of God. And all the while, these Jews were deluding themselves. And the Bible tells us that man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Now, how do these things apply to Christians? I want to just give you a little comment here from Albert Barnes. The remarks which are made here respecting the Jews are also strictly applicable to professing Christians. And we may learn that the external relights of religion are of much less importance than the state of the heart. Let's get that to heart. That the only value of those rites is to promote holiness of heart and life. That the mere fact that we are born of pious ancestors will not save us. That the fact that we are dedicated to God in baptism will not save us. That a mere profession of religion, however orthodox, maybe our creed, will not save us. That the estimate which people may put on the, our piety is not the proper measure of our true character and standing. It is an inexpressible privilege to be in possession of the Word of God and to know our duty. It may, if improved, conduce to our elevation in holiness and happiness here, and to our eternal felicity hereafter. It is also a fearful thing to neglect the privileges which we enjoy. We shall be judged according to the light which we have, and it will be an awful event to go to eternity from a Christian land unprepared. Oh, that will be a tragedy indeed. Whatever may be the destiny of the pagan, it is our duty to make preparation to meet God. The most wicked of the pagan may meet a far milder doom 
than many who are externally moral or who profess religion in Christian lands. Instead, therefore, of speculating on what may be their destiny, it is the duty of every individual to be at peace himself with God and to flee from the wrath to come. So take this to heart today, and may you hear God calling you to salvation through faith in the Lord Jesus. Here we have our hymn, Who Can Cheer the Heart Like Jesus? Who can cheer the heart like Jesus by his presence of Now, it's a very interesting thing that in the book of Exodus, the person's wife is, uh, let me get this right. I'm going to check myself here. I'm going to look at this one more time before I make this statement, because if I get it wrong, I'm going to be in trouble. Let's read back here in Exodus 20:17. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. So the house is first, and then the wife. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, it's the other way around. So wives, do not think that the house is more important than you. You are the heart of the home. You are the furnishing of the home. You make up the comfort of the home. But a man should have his house before he gets his wife. He should have the ability to provide and be responsible as a husband before he is blessed with his own wife. And so we have this order that is given here. It goes on to talk about, neither shall he covet his neighbor's ass. We'd probably update that to car. Now, there's a young fellow across the street from us, and he just bought himself a new truck. In fact, before he got it, he told me all about it. He wanted me to know about his new truck. He was parked at the end of our driveway for a time, and there he was sitting in his truck, just checking it all out, pressing all the buttons, putting on the lights, flashers, and everything, getting used to this new truck. Well, I think I'm beyond coveting a truck. Man, you have had been some fancy other car. It might be tempted. Might be tempted. But what is our neighbor's rightfully his? I'm not to covet that to the point where I go along to and criticize the truck and run it down. You bought a, you bought a truck like that? Just out of spite not allowing your neighbor to enjoy the blessing, to enjoy the privilege. However he paid for it, I don't know. However he's going to pay for it, I don't know. Young fella, probably got himself a job, got a reasonable income, can afford a truck. Rejoice with him. That's a blessing. But to go along in sour grapes and say, well, you shouldn't have a truck like that, uh, that's, that'll do you harm. Uh, you should give it to me. I deserve the truck, not you. Talk it down. 
and belittle the blessing that someone else has. This is a wrong use of the boundary. Now, God has blessed you with your own vehicle and me with my vehicle. Enjoy it, but let others enjoy theirs. The commandment goes on to talk about servants. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife, house, wife, ox, servant. We would update that to employee. Now, I know that headhunters do. They steal employees. Some other person in business has a good worker, a good employee. They steal them away. That seems to be the name of the game today. But in Bible times, a servant could often be a life or death, a make or break situation. We know that Abraham had a very loyal, faithful, beneficial servant and served him many years. And to deny uh, Abram of that servant would have been a great loss. And we can see the principle now uh, that when someone else has a helper, a worker, a partner in business, whatever, we should rejoice with him that God has provided such help. Once we desire and must have those things that don't rightly belong to us, then it is sin, the sin of coveting. Another antidote, another medicine against covetousness is to pray for a spirit of contentment. Contentment is to say, I have enough. Can you say that as a Christian? I have enough. Now, that doesn't mean that you don't go to work tomorrow. You don't phone up your employer and say, look, I don't need any more work because I don't need any more money. I'm just going to be a bum. I have enough. No, that's not what it's intended. But it is the spirit of your heart and attitude that the goodness of God, the provisions of God to me, I rejoice in, accept as God's gifts to me. Contentment is not only to say, I have enough, but that God knows how much I can manage. It's a whole lot easier to carry a cup that's half full than a cup that's filled to the brim. whole lot easier. And God may be very loving and gracious just to give us enough in His knowledge and understanding of what we can handle. Back to the illustration of the ship. When a ship is overloaded with cargo, it can be in danger of sinking. I remember hearing on the news a couple of summers ago, there was a great run of salmon uh, up on George's Strait. And the fishermen, they drew in large catch of fish and filled their boat. All was well in salt water. But when they got to the mouth of the Fraser going to the cannery, they're getting into that fresh water. Then their boat was in trouble, and they had to get rescued. I don't know what happened to all the fish. But you see, in God's wisdom, He knows how much is right and good for us. It's not wrong to be ambitious. You might be in business. You might be contemplating uh, some form of income, uh, work opportunity, whatever, and, and I believe that we should excel and use the gifts, the talents that God has given us. But when things don't pan out, we've got to accept this is God's gift, God's provision in His wisdom for me. And contentment means that we rest in faith on the goodness of God 
to provide. We trust God for the keeping of our souls. Can we not trust him to keep us in the world for the few years to come that we may have, that he will yet provide? Now, what happens many people is, such as their covetous attitude, they lose contentment, such as their growing covetousness, that they must have money at any cost. They must gain those riches at any cost. And so they sell out the principles of good business, honesty, integrity. They begin to tell lies, cheat, deceive, and some even stoop to horrendous extent and depths just in the interest of getting. And so God in his wisdom has called us to a spirit of contentment. I don't need to emphasize more. We preached in this recently, godliness with contentment is great gain. There's another antidote to coveting I want to cover tonight, and that is tithing, giving our first fruits unto God. God has ordained spiritual giving, gospel giving, call it what you will, that we give a portion of our goods, our income, back to the Lord to prove and to keep us from a spirit of covetousness. If we become greedy and grasping and keeping everything and not willing to support the cause of Christ, his church, the promotion of the gospel in the world, then we will and are have become covetousness. I read an amazing story of uh, missionaries in Greenland. And David Kranz, the missionary historian, tells that Greenlanders have often been known as the most naturally selfish people in the world. And you go to mission among them, it becomes very difficult. However, after many attempts of mission work, God in grace gathered together a little gospel church in Greenland. Hearing of a fire that broke out somewhere in North America, I couldn't find out the location. It just said North America somewhere. I believe it was native peoples that were in hardship due to a fire. The Greenlanders, uh, hearing of this, they, their hearts were melted, and they gave what they had. They had no money. One came with a reindeer skin, and he said, take it. Another said, here, I will give a new pair of reindeer boots. Another offered a, a train of oil, and another something that they could burn uh, in their lamps. Another offered a seal, knowing that it could be eaten. Now, what it all added up to, I don't know, but there was a melting of hearts by the power of the gospel. A Christian is a giver, because our heavenly Father is a giver. He giveth and giveth and giveth again. And we, if we are covetous, are not like our heavenly Father. But if we are willing to give at least a portion of the blessings that God gives to us, we show that new heart and that God-likeness by doing so. I have a couple of questions for you. Have we honored God with our substance? Or have we used every penny, every piece of income for our own gain, our own promotion, or our own comfort? Here's a question, and I think it was, it was either Thomas Watson in my reading of his treatment of this subject, or Dr. Cairns, I forget. But what would a covetous man do in heaven? 
one who is selfish to the core, how would he join the saints worshiping the Lord day and night when all he's interested is the gain of material things? Third question, do we take as great pains getting heaven as we do getting earth? Now, I know we have some very hardworking men and women here. Tomorrow morning, the alarm clock will be set. You'll be off to work bright and early. You will work long days, long hours all week. But this is a question that must be answered. Are we willing to work as hard at getting heaven as getting earth? No doubt this is a very searching commandment. And it puts the magnifying glass upon all of our lives. And it really is the temperature gauge of just how worldly we are, how much of the world and the love of the world is in our hearts, or how much we have become like the Lord, who was the great giver. The carnal, unconverted man is married to this world, just like that rich young ruler, married to the world. He couldn't give up his riches. He was a slave to the things that he possessed to the cost of his own soul. Now, the Christian has a great struggle to keep the world out of his heart. That's why this commandment was given to God's people. These Ten Commandments are, firstly, for God's people, the redeemed people. And covetousness can be a great problem to Christians, to God's people. It's a very subtle sin because we want to be known as hard workers, good breadwinners, earnest in our endeavors to promote and advance and bring in the, the goods that will comfort our family and provide and so on. We can do a lot of coveting in the name of providing and other reasons. Or maybe we want to lay up a nest egg for the future, and that may be determined as a wise thing to do. And so the Christian has a continual battle against covetousness. We need to pray against it, We need to guard ourselves against it, and we need to trade more with heaven than with earth. If you think of the covetous man always wanting to trade for more and more of this world, Christians turn that around and say, my first priority is to trade with heaven. We need to set our hearts on those things that are above. And I think Paul's words in Colossians 3.1 is where we should end this tonight. Colossians 3.1. Um, It says, if ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 1. If ye be risen with Christ, that is, if you're a Christian, you're born again, you're regenerated, risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. That's a command to us, and it's the answer to that struggle of covetousness, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. Now, I could go to that young fellow across the street from me and say, do you know in 10 years that that truck of yours is going to be full of rust? It'll start breaking down, and somebody one day is going to sell it for scrap, and it's going to go to the crusher, and it's going to be recycled, perhaps, into... Uh, iron and metal and parts for some something else. Things that we set our affection upon and we would almost die for. You, you've heard that expression? 
You know, you, you would die for something. You would give your right leg for something, such as your passion about it. And yet, those things on earth, they are but temporary. They rust. The moths eat. The thief steals. And, and you'll notice in verse 3, the, the, the hiding place of the Christian, the contentment of the Christian. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Now, I was thinking about what does that dead mean? Dead to what? Dead to the world. Dead to all its lusts and allurements, its attractions, and its so-called riches. A Christian is spoiled for the world. We're dead to it. Those things don't hold the same attraction. Now, we can still admire nice things. We can drive along a country road and see a, a mansion, a home, uh, and we can admire the architecture and the paint and the color and, uh, and the whole setting. We can admire nice things, but to set our hearts upon them must have at any cost. That becomes the evil. So we become dead to the things of earth, and your life is hid with Christ in God. I heard a preacher tell a story. It was a radio preacher I was listening to, and he said that a friend of his was on a business trip, and he arrived at an airport, and his suitcase didn't arrive. And he had some business meetings to attend, and he needed a, a proper suit. And so he went along to a thrift store, and as he went in and uh, asked if they had any suits, he said, yes, this uh, funeral home uh, had an overabundance of suits, so they sold them to us really cheap. And he bought himself a suit from the funeral home. And when he went and fitted it on and tested it, put his hat, there were no pockets. You don't need pockets in a shroud. You're not going to take anything with you. You're going to leave absolutely everything behind. Everything. I also read about the America's greatest miser. Her name was Hetty Green. And she lived about 100 years ago. New York area. She was worth millions upon millions. She had a, a number of inheritances from her parents and aunts and various family members, and she invested it all. She was very frugal, but she became a miser. So miserly she was that when she ate porridge oats, she ate them cold because it cost too much to use gas to heat her oats. When her son uh, was injured and needed medical attention. She spent so long to try and find a clinic that would attend to him for free that he ended up losing his leg. She was the richest woman. In fact, I also read that some of the uh, municipalities or, or state would, would go to her for funds to prop up their temporary needs, knowing that she had the resources but she would never spend them on herself or her own family. Of course, she died, and the family did receive the inheritance. Some of them did quite well on it. But it just shows you what covetousness, this spirit of materialism, this slave to stuff and things can do in human nature. What a great problem it is. And we as Christians we need to be on guard against covetousness, and we need to pray, Lord, break the power of the world in my heart. Smash it, and set me free, and give me a liberty, 
And let me be like that man in Proverbs who desires neither riches nor poverty. We don't want to be the richest man in the world. I don't want to be the poorest man either. I want to have those things that God is pleased to give in his good providence and rejoice in them. Faith says God will provide. Faith says a little with God will be sweet. Faith says I have enough. God already has given me too much. Faith says there will be no wants in heaven. And faith says I am the Lord's child. My heavenly Father will take care of me. And there really is the answer to covetousness, faith. Living by faith, not by sight. May the Lord take this tonight and kill the spirit of covetousness that plagues every one of our hearts. It searches us, it convicts us, it makes us realize that those ten laws do indeed claim us and condemn us. And it drives us to Christ, our schoolmaster. We must have a Savior because the law shows me my sin. It's a mirror to show me my vileness, but it can never wash away my sin. I need the blood of Christ. I need the gospel. And so what God did in Mount Sinai, he has answered in Mount Calvary. The giving of the law that condemns sinners, but the giving of his Son that saves sinners. This is the answer. And gospel preaching requires both. We must preach the law for men to see their need, and when they feel the burden of their sin, tell them that God has provided a Savior to take that burden away. I trust tonight that you have that burden lifted and you are delivered from the depths and the power of sin. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. Thank you for joining with us, and I trust the Lord has already blessed. The phrase, able to save to the uttermost, does not refer to the depths of sin from which Christ has lifted us, but rather to the extremity of time to which Christ can carry us. There is, of course, no limit either way. But this verse has to do only with the completion of our salvation. It tells us that Christ is able to carry us through all temptation, trials, tests, and victories until he presents us faultless before the throne at the end of life. Indeed, we can say for the Christian who is born again, there is no end to life apart from laying down the body. There is a resurrection, and it is for the Christian absent from the body, present with the Lord. And until that day, we can entrust in the keeping power of the Lord Jesus. May the Lord keep you until we join together again as we let the Bible speak. Information of that, if you call us on our number here, 604-576-1091, or go to our website, www.cloverdealfpc.ca. And again, join us, please, again as we let the Bible speak. Welcome to our program today, and you are listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. 
I truly hope that you're blessed each time that you tune into our programs on this station. And my prayer is that God will use His Word to bring precious souls to personal faith in the gospel. We want this to be God's means to building His church and blessing His people. Our burden is to get the gospel out according to the Great Commission, where the Lord has sent His disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel. So we don't get too political or too hung up on pressing trends, but seek to preach Christ in all His fullness for men in all their need. Our message is based on the great Reformation sola doctrines of salvation by Christ alone, by faith alone, by grace alone, based on the Bible alone, for the glory of God alone. And you can understand that radio ministry is very much a ministry of faith as we air programs not knowing who is listening. We therefore need your feedback and comments. You can find us on Facebook at Let the Bible Speak Canada and there leave us a comment. You can go to our website, ltbs.ca and send us an email. Or probably best of all, go to our phone number, 604-897-2040, and I will personally take your call. And of course, if you have pastoral needs, I will gladly talk and pray with you. So please get in touch, and we need to know that you're listening and truly benefiting from this ministry on your station at this time. So please go to our church website, ltbs.ca, for all the information And may the Lord bless you until the next time we let the Bible speak.